Hey, hey, welcome back to Deconstructing the Myth Season 3, a season full of conversations about how to move forward with life during and after deconstruction. My guest today is Michael Lisi, and I'm so excited to share a conversation with you. I stumbled across Michael's podcast, A Certain Wandering, a while ago, and I found his guests to be really encouraging on my journey, but also him as a host. To me, he's such a gentle powerhouse for deconstruction, if I can coin such a term. And we had a really great conversation today. I'm so excited to share. Well, Michael, I am so excited that you're here today. It's kind of uh, crazy for me because uh, like a few months ago, <laughs> when was it? I listed your podcast as one that I found super helpful yeah. for people in deconstruction. And then you reached out and had me as a guest. And I was like, uh, <laughs> could I have you as a guest then? Because this is super <laughs> cool. So thanks so much for our listeners. You are the uh, creator and host of a certain wandering podcast. You're a spiritual mm-hmm. director, counselor, mentor, life coach, companion. And we will definitely be telling people where to find you in our show notes and at the end of this episode if they want to reach out and even work with you. So thanks so much for being here. It's it's really exciting to have you. Um, I was wondering if as we start, you know, I've actually been like dying to ask you online and even when we did my <laughs> interview about your story and I thought I'm going to wait till our interview because then it will be the real, my real reactions, <laughs> truly hearing your story. I think I have heard bits and pieces of it throughout your podcast. Um, but could you just kind of introduce yourself? Yeah. To, to our listeners and tell us about your spiritual background, especially and your journey and where you are currently. Yes. So a lot of my background, um, is steeped in very strange and very, uh, evangelical Pentecostal sort of reformed like traditions and in all of them have experienced, I would say unsavory or spiritually abusive experiences. And so now that's why I kind of do what I do. Um, but for a lot of good reasons, I think I've always stayed curious and I'm glad I haven't lost that. Mm. But instead of like going way back, cause we don't need to go, all the way back to when I was born, like mm-hmm. Dwight does in his earliest memory from the office. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I grew up with um, nominally believing parents. Like they provided for us a really safe, happy environment. Um, faith was in no way like a, a focal point. I feel like I talked to a lot of people who like church was the thing, you know, we're there mm-hmm. every Wednesday, we're there every Sunday. Yeah. For us, that really didn't happen until I was in high school. And that's because I wanted to be there. And it was at a, um, I wouldn't say hyper charismatic, but I would say charismatic Assemblies of God Church. I don't know if you have any familiarity with them. I know of them. I don't know many people within them, though. So Cool. Yeah. So very um, Holy Spirit focused. Very, you have to be baptized a second time after you've been saved. Um, High emotionalism. And so it was both a blessing and a curse as a really emotional high school teenager to be in an environment like that. Because from an early age, I think I was really desperate for some form of deep emotional connection and like significance and meaning. And although I would never have called it that when I was that little, that's what I wanted. And this environment was absolutely that. Like the more you were responding to the spirit, the better. Um, but that's a really bad recipe for reality because that just doesn't seem to be how reality works. Hmm. And, um, had, yeah, just lots, lots of intense, like, you know, you're going to come up and touch your youth leader's hands and start speaking in tongues kind of stuff. And, um, very emotionally charged all the while I was pretty, convinced I also wanted to belong in in high school. And so kind of riding the roller coaster of, I want to be in youth group and I want it to matter, but I also kind of want to date girls and drink and Mm, be a normal high schooler and do all those things. And uh, was really close to my youth pastor up until about my sophomore year of high school when he was a 25 year old single guy. He, it was revealed he was secretly dating an 18 year old in the youth group. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. And yeah. while it was legal, it was 
really inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> There's power dynamics and just all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you shouldn't do that. So that for me was a really great reason to just kind of bail on taking church seriously for a while. And that lasted up through college. Um, had a pretty traditional first two years of college, enjoyed that, and then got plugged into a really popular um, kind of presenting as evangelical free or non-denominational, but was like secretly Baptist college ministry. Hmm. Um, and I think it's fair to say both to my home church that I first grew up in and even um, the salt company is, is who they're called. So many okay. people like are afraid to name it. And I'm like, you can edit this out, but why do we have to not talk about what happened to us in their mm, context? Yeah, You know, yeah. I have people who regularly, when I like actually name the places I work, they're like, that's really not fair. That seems inappropriate. And I'm always like, it's not fair. It's your that story. They aren't being held accountable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to what happened. Yeah. That's um, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I was super depressed when I joined the college ministry, I had been partying, was not fulfilled, not happy. And this place gave me a community that found its identity on something other than how drunk we can get every weekend. Hmm. And so it's what I was looking for and very much had that Christian worldview, belonged really quickly. Um, I was there for probably seven or eight years after that. So I became a youth pastor, was a youth pastor there for middle school and loved that, honestly. Hmm. Then stayed in that network and became a college pastor. And that's where my deconstruction journey, I would say, actually starts. Hmm. So I was very much at a church where my pastor was all about the numbers, whether it was financial numbers or strategic numbers or people attending. And I had started listening to podcasts from a guy named John Mark Comer, which I'm sure some people have listened to or heard of. Mm-hmm. And his way of kind of following Jesus was really new to me. He seemed to believe it was very personal and uh, experiential. And yet I felt like he really did a great job helping me understand the Bible. And so I really dove into those things and those ideas and befriended a pastor who's out in um, Southern California now. Um, And that quickly though made it clear I didn't belong in the place I was anymore because they were like, I remember one time the pastor at the church I was at said, you know, I don't want you talking about the Holy Spirit because we can't control the Holy Spirit. And that was like, Ooh, I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. And yeah, so that was unsettling. And then, you know, I was just like, how come we don't pray? How can we read more Patrick Lencioni than we do Bible? How come you kind of operate with this level of arrogance that doesn't make sense to me. And he was pretty combative. And now to be fair, like I'm super passive aggressive if I'm in an environment where I don't feel heard. So I was not like the best employee. I will absolutely admit that. Um, Okay. But I just started changing things. I was like, why do we have to do worship for this 20 minutes and then a 30 minute sermon and then 10 more minutes of worship and then we have to be out. I was really interested in like, if God is real, I want to experience God. I don't want to rush this. I want to actually encounter it. And my lead pastor at the time told me I was just having an ego trip. Um, So did not, yeah, did not make the effort to get to know me. Our relationship was contentious for about a year and a half. All the while I was building relationship with this other pastor in California Um, started really changing my views on what women could do in ministry, Um, went to a conference where they were very Holy Spirit oriented and had some experiences there that felt significant to me at the time. Now in my deconstruction journey, I'm like, was that all made up? Like Mm. those are the, the foggy lenses nowadays when I really try to process it. And so came to a situation where I ended up in the hospital with my four-month-old. So I have four kids. They're eight, six, four, and four. And my boys are twins. And when one of my sons was four months old, we realized his head was much bigger than his brother's. So Mm. one, thank goodness he had a literal copy for us to compare it to. (laughs) Yeah, that is helpful. Um, 
but had one of those, like, uh, this might be triggering for some people who listen, but had one of those really intense moments where like eight doctors come in the room Mm -hmm. and tell you like, something's really wrong. You may live in this hospital for months and months and we don't know what's about to happen. Um, so he had been vacuumed out when he was born because he was just being stubborn and not coming out. And they just didn't catch that what had happened is something called a subdural hematoma. Okay. So that's where blood pools between your brain and your skull. Oh my gosh. And yeah. And so when that happens, um, you end up not being able to filter brain fluid out of your head as easily. And so that's what had happened is his head was basically clogged. It was too big and it was growing too fast because of all the fluid. Wow. Well, yeah, six terrible days in the hospital where like this lead pastor I was working for at the time called and was like, well, I didn't expect this news. That was the first thing he says Uh, instead of like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. It was like, I didn't expect this. And then a few days later, um, he was like, well, you know, I'm still anticipating you being at work in probably the next week or two. And uh, so just, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, like literally literally said, well, other people have had to make this work, so I'm not going to give you any leeway or, like, flexibility here. Oh, my gosh. What in the world? That's terrible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we, we would have to do a whole separate podcast just to talk about this network. I might have to just do an episode on mine of just that network in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, wow. So... On day six of our hospital stay, we went home and we weren't supposed to. Like, it was a miracle. That's the only word I have for it because they did two brain surgeries. The fluid cleared itself up and the doctor came in and was like, I don't know if you know anyone upstairs, but for some reason, your son's head has responded on its own phenomenally to our procedures and I get to discharge you today. That's wild. Okay. Yes. So it was this amazing euphoric, like we're leaving, we get to go home. I took the day off the day after that and got chastised for it, was told, hey, kickoff is coming soon. And like, I'm going to give you this one day. But he like literally called me the day I took off at 5 p.m. and was like, I'm just making very sure that you'll be in the office tomorrow because you have things to do. Oh, my God. What? (laughs) I was like, yep. Ended up uh, in his office the next morning with him telling me, you know, you being in the hospital made me realize that over the last few months, I essentially gave up on you as a friend and as an employee. And I really think I just need to give you what you want. And I I need you to either commit to really doing things my way, or I think it's time for you to leave. Wow. Wow. And yeah, and I obviously pushed back. We don't want to get in the weeds too much on that one, but ended up. Um, having a pretty big uh, fight with him and with my wife, her and I with him. He said some really gnarly things. A week and a half later, we had a six-month severance and didn't work there anymore. And they send out a church-wide email that said, Michael and the leadership had irreconcilable differences. Mm -hmm. And that's all they did. And they, like, didn't tell the college kids why I was gone. They didn't really share the details. It was just a mess. Um, But like I've mentioned, we had that relationship with that pastor in California. And so we continued to talk and decided to become church planning residents and move out there. Hmm. So we moved out there six weeks before COVID hit and shut everything down. Oh, wow. (laughs) So in some ways, it was like a beautiful, like ridiculously privileged place to be in lockdown. Um, because it had the beach and all these beautiful national parks and things like that. And there was a, like, I've never been a part of a small group community that we, my wife and I led that was closer or felt more honest and real. Like it was really like something I still think about today. I'm like, wow. Cause we had just like, we had a same sex couple. We had people in their sixties. We had a couple who was in their thirties. We had younger kids who were like 19 and 20. Mm-hmm. It was just this beautiful conglomeration of people and gender and race and sexuality. And I was like, I think this is like church. And that was cool. But the pastor, um, I would be pretty confident to say was either um, incredibly wounded and insecure or was narcissistic. And so I, after being there, realized like this church isn't what they kind of told me it was. 
and not what they presented it to be. And after a few months, started kind of pushing back on some things they were doing and offering my own ideas and kind of help them see that they weren't paying me enough. And got into a couple pretty legitimate arguments with the lead pastor and his wife. And then for like six months, I think the lead pastor and I had only two conversations after that. Mm. And towards the end of that time, they heard wind that I was looking for another job. And then out of nowhere, this magical accusation of gossip occurred. They suspended me for a week, told me I wasn't allowed on their church premise. And two days after that, they fired me. What in the yeah, there's there's lots in there too, just like this church really presented itself as this radically generous church or this place where it was all about the Holy Spirit and spiritual authority and I was being told things like, you're so prophetic, you're a prophet and mm. um, it sounded really great, but at the end of the day, there was just this weird disconnect between the higher up leadership and the rest of us and... To me, it like follows pretty typical hyper in-group behavior where everyone thinks this leader and his wife are these Moses-like figures. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have the accountability. And even two of their elders, uh, it was known that they were quoted saying, we're here to protect the lead pastor and his wife, not the church. Oh my gosh. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think to color in that, that California experience, it was um, hyper charismatic. Like we're all about the presence of God. We want to see healings. We want to see miracles. And this guy, the lead pastor, he's a phenomenal, very charismatic. You want to be around him. Yeah. And up until us moving there, I don't know if I had a person in my life who was more supportive of me, mm. who would answer my calls, my text messages, who was there for me. And so it was so weird. Like my wife just has like this voodoo juju. Like she just knows when something's not right. Mm. And it was the first week we had moved. She got invited to the lead pastor's house because um, his wife had invited her over and people were there meeting her. And it was just like hospitable time. And he had come home and she had been asked, you know, what brought us out here? And he cut her off in the middle of her telling our story and told it for her with him as the hero. Oh. Yeah. And I just remember like when we brought up how little they were paying us, we had to end up on a, a meeting where we were told like, you don't know how to have emotionally healthy conversation oh. and you don't know how to confront leaders well. And like we were promised that we would get to be put on stage to ask for support. That never happened. Mm -hmm. We were promised that they would like go out of their way to help us fit and like change our job after we had got there for a while. That never happened. And it was like this, every staff meeting was, let's dream, let's dream. What ideas do you have? And I would bring what I thought were very practical, very legitimate like ideas. And they would always be like, just stay in your lane. Just stay in your lane. But then they'd get mad at all of us. You're not dreaming more. And then, you know, there's meetings or the lay pastor's like, I'm sick of some of you who say you go to therapy. You need to rely more on the presence of God and wow. stop living into these lies your therapist is telling you and Whoa. just stuff like that. And so the more, um, the more I tried to be, or there was a time where I was put on and off the teaching schedule, like four, four weeks in a row put on, put off, put on, put off, put on, put off. And so me not wanting to become passive aggressive again, called him and was like, Hey man, like I'm starting to have a hard time trusting you because you tell me one thing's going to happen and then it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And he freaks out on me. He's like, you don't understand how hard my job is. You, you don't realize that there are just other things that I need to make happen. And I just can't believe you're doing this to me. Don't you know how hard my life is right now? And I was honestly like, what the fuck? You can edit that out. But I was like, what in the world is happening? Um, and there were just lots of instances like that. I, I got told by his wife that I needed to say to my lead pastor, is what you just said a dream or reality? It was like PETA saying to Katniss, real or not real? Like I had to, she's like, because he's allowed to dream and that's part of why we pay him. And I was like, this is the weirdest place I have ever been in wow. my life. During this time, it was, I'm fully moved on from reform theology. 
really comfortable in this more practicing the way of Jesus. Like if you want to know what kind of vein of belief I was in, go listen to Bridgetown church. Um, go listen to reality, San Francisco, Mm. um, KXC in the United Kingdom. They're all buddies. They're called the sea rock crew is what they're called. And I don't know most of these guys, but I know my pastor is best friends with them. And when I was starting this podcast, uh, so it was, in the midst of me not getting paid enough, being told to be creative, started thinking of ways that I could be passionate about what I was doing, but make some extra money. I was like, oh, I could do a podcast and it could offer resources. And I had all these former college students asking for different ways and resources on theological ideas. And they just didn't know where to start. And I was like, maybe I could start a nonprofit that does that. Maybe that would be a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. And initially my pastor at the time and my like other supervisors were super supportive of it. But when all of this went down, my pastor sent out a letter to like 13 churches and 20 individuals, totally like defaming my character, literally saying I was guilty of unrepentant sin after promising he wouldn't tell anyone about this, but literally basically said, if you trust your relationship with me, don't associate with Michael. And to this day, only three people of those 20 have actually interacted with me, but I've even had like uh, a staffer on the Bridgetown church. She won't respond to my emails. Like I have literally said, did I do something or can you help me understand what I did? And I don't even get the courtesy of an email response. Oh my gosh. It keeps getting worse. (laughs) Yes. And so in the aftermath of that, my wife and I were like, well, I don't know if I can ever go to church again. I don't know if I could ever actually call myself a Christian. And we decided we would spend six months with me not working in California, which was insane, but we really felt like it was what we were supposed to do. Um, And I think we both just needed, our whole family needed to detox, needed to unplug from this way of life that we had lived for so long. And I put down my Bible and started looking like there are like, no offense to all of you. I don't think they'd ever hear this, but there's like four or five guests that I just won't ever publish their episodes because I no longer believe in either like what they believe and don't feel like it's safe to give to my audience Mm. or just straight up have learned things about the institution they're a part of that I'm like, I can't, I can't post this. Wow. (laughs) Um, So this is where the deconstruction accelerates. So I had left Reformed theology, entered this charismatic stream, spiritual formation stream. Well, now all of it has failed me. And so I was basically like, God, I'm trying to get rid of you and I'm trying to give you up. But I think that if I did that, I wouldn't know what to do. At least at that time, I was like, I think I'm suicidal. Like I remember being at a park and like, there was this ledge and I remember thinking if I call 911 now and jump, they'll come get my kids before anything bad happens. Oh, wow. That's so it was so dark. It was a lot. So dark. It is. And actually I'm glad you are talking about this because, um, my, my, I guess not a a similar place, I guess never an attempt, but like a dark, dark Mm. day was connected to spirituality and it was connected Mm. to uh, some failures I thought I had, um, connected to a spiritual life. And it's like, Mm. or, or or difficulties there. And I don't share that a lot because I I tried to share this once with someone who was uh, born an atheist basically. And I was like, can you imagine the, Mm. the most important relationship of your life? thinking maybe this is a fabrication. So this is a little bit different than your story. Yeah. But it, he, yeah. he, he literally couldn't fathom it. Like he couldn't, he's like, what? Hmm. He's like, but your family. I was like, no, you don't understand. Like this existed before I had my family. My parents would have been yeah. honored if I would have given my life for this, yada, yada. So I, I'm yeah. very intrigued when I hear of someone who, it sounds like surrounding the spiritual things mm-hmm. gets to that kind of low because mm-hmm. not everyone can understand that. 
And that yeah. is a really yeah. dark, dark place. But I think once you come through that, that's why you're such a valuable voice for so many people because you actually hmm. get it. Like you actually yeah. get it, you know? So anyway, sorry yeah. to interject there. I just, no, I haven't that actually, was beautiful. well, I haven't actually heard anyone say something similar. So I'm just, I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> I'm so sorry that happened to you. Yeah. I'm like no. intrigued that it, it also happened, you know? Yeah. And, and thankfully, like, my wife and I have a great relationship and she was fully aware of that and checking in on me and taking That's care so of me. And then even my parents, like I had a cousin who was having a wedding and they paid to bring me and my oldest daughters out just to spend like four or five days with them just because I think they were worried about me and wanted to like look me in the eyes and make sure I wasn't like not eating and, and taking care of myself. Um, so I had a really great support system and really hit this moment where I was just like, okay, if God is real, then there has to be a good answer for suffering. Mm. And I have to make sense of what happened because I was getting told, well, the, like, we don't need to pay you more. You just need to hold on and believe that this is where God wants you and he's going to provide for you. Yeah. Or I was being told, like, you have this anointing on your life and God's going to double your finances and he's going to do these things for you. And it just wasn't happening. And I was sitting there watching these people that I now think are manipulative and abusive and don't know it, which I think makes it worse. Like in, in all of these instances, a majority of the time, I don't think these people think they're being abusive and I don't think they're trying to be. But that's what to me is what is so dangerous about the modern American pastor is mm. the system is steeped it's the soil you know like the nutrients in the soil of these churches regardless of denomination breeds narcissism delusion a separation from what your life is actually like and the the person you're giving these ridiculous prophecies to and you know no shame i've, I've seen i've told strangers things that i shouldn't know and i still can't explain why i knew it you know mm -hmm. so yeah. i'm not trying to totally throw the baby out with the bathwater, but that's a tangent so like just so bad. So I basically decided I can't let God go. I'm just going to figure out how am I made and how do we move forward? And I'm just not a stay down person. Like you can kick me off the horse all you want for some weird reason. I keep getting back up. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out if I can believe in God. And if there's a good framework for me, to understand my experience and the experience of others and suffering and spiritual abuse and a loving God. Can those two things exist and how do I make that happen? And so at the same time, decided to go to school. Actually, one morning my wife walked out and was like, you need to go back to school and I think you should become a therapist. Wow. And she had this like steel look in her eyes. And every once in a while, like I told you, she has just these like intense intuitive moments and a week later, I had been accepted to grad school. And three weeks later, I was starting classes. Wow. And um, we moved out to Oklahoma City, where we are now. And with, um, I was just an intern at a clinic, answering phones, doing my thing. And that summer, I just started to listen to a million podcasts, devour every book I could get my hands on. And all the while, if you follow the podcast, you can see the guests start to change. Mm -hmm. It almost to the month follows my seasons of exploration. And I'm essentially inviting people, especially after the first 10 or 15 episodes, to go on the journey I went on to decide whether or not I could still hold some kind of faith and if I called it Christian or not. That is so interesting. This is so interesting because I have came at it backwards. So when I first mm. listened, I think I listened, I listened to Bree Stoner first and then, you know, Brian McLaren. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, uh -huh. man, he's getting such good uh -huh. guests. I was like, what in the world? And then after we <laughs> connected, I went back, I was going back in the archives because I was listening, you know, I'd listened to a lot of the more recent ones and I was like, this tone is changing. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, I figured it out. I was like, oh, because you weren't necessarily deconstructing at the same level at all back here. It was like very interesting. No. And it's interesting yep. to listen yep. to. It is very clear. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I just found it fascinating. Like I know some people say, you know, stay on brand yeah. or whatever, but I was like, Ooh, this is, this is something <laughs> neat. It's like a time capsule. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And, um, I think I have to disassociate when I hear my own voice just to get through editing. So I don't know if I can oh, go no. back really? and listen to some of them, but I'm being dramatic. Okay. I, I tend to be dramatic. Um, but I really was like, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to, and the part of me, like just totally honest, I was like, crap, if some people l- listen to the first 10, those aren't, this is going to sound bad. It's, I want to say, I'm not proud of those. No, I am. Mm, those aren't yeah. an accurate picture of what I think the podcast has become. And yeah. so I was really nervous that they'd listen to a few of those early ones and be like, this isn't the podcast for me. Mm. But I wanted it to kind of stay there and exist that way because as I have gone back and even seen the progression, it almost feels like they're going deeper into the pool. You know, they start in the three feet, then go to four, then five. And now we're very much in the deep end, I think (laughs) on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I was like, I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to let people figure it out and maybe go on that journey with me if they want to. And um, I'm now at a place where I wouldn't say I'm Christian, but I wouldn't say I'm not. Mm, And I like, finally don't have weird little bouts of anxiety about hell or don't feel guilty that I'm not praying or reading my Bible. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm still very much um, moved by the divine in ways that I used to never notice before. I think that's mm-hmm. the best way for me to put it. Like even driving on the highway and watching the way the wind and the sun hit a tree can be really moving for me or feeling more attentive to my kids laughing or just quiet moments and um yeah so that's a very long-winded overview skipping across a lot of my story (laughs) wow i i love that i love that all i wanted to also say just thinking about the podcast thing maybe i'm over um Maybe mm. I'm <laughs> drawing too many conclusions from this, just like I did back in my more evangelical days. But I was thinking about how, you know, like with the podcast thing and this idea of brand and like stay on brand and you were, it's to me, that's something I hear sometimes. And it's like, totally to a degree you didn't. And the thing is, mm-hmm. our churches, our spiritual communities in evangelicalism truly are without knowing it so conscious of of brand in the sense of Mm. staying within their theology in a sense or staying within the way we talk, the way we speak, the way we think about all things. And I think the thing that that your podcast Mm. brings is nuance. And that is something people are starving for because there Mm. is not space for that. The way things are structured now with, with how we truly brand Christianity or brand spirituality. And I love, I think we're going to actually see more, things that that are vulnerable and open and honest like yours and and, and saying like this was me then mm-hmm. no disclaimer posted if mm-hmm. you want to know where i'm at now you are actually going to have to listen to other episodes like you know because i think Seriously. so often we we can't do that i don't know if that's an american thing or a, a human thing but i i'm really mm-hmm. fascinated with it and i'm really glad you left your episodes because i think thanks it's very it's it's actually kind of courageous. Um, like I've deleted, mm. I don't know this not on this page, but there's been things in the past on other pages that I've had to delete or had or have thought about, and and it's just like why can't we just say that was then? I believed that then. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I kind of think some of it's our evangelical idea of like we have to get this right because souls are at stake. Do you think that might Seriously. be some of it? <laughs> some of the conditions. Oh. For sure. And, um, we like, it's funny to me when Christians get upset about cancel culture because I think they invented it. (laughs) (laughs) Like no one is faster to cancel someone than a Christian to cancel their own like church family member. Mm. Like I, one of the things I do now is I'm an advocate and, um, mentor to people who've been through spiritual abuse and like on Facebook, I'm very explicit and pointed about my old network um, and that gets a lot of people upset, but it's helped a lot of people come out of the woodwork and mm-hmm. find healing and 
get them plugged into therapy and things like that, which I'm really proud of. And like, yeah. it's very humbling. Yeah. Um, but all of those people were radically canceled and kicked out. And I think too, I have the, I've had this client in the past who is 19 and she's wiser than 10 million people twice her age. Mm. And she just was telling me, she's like, I'm so sick of sermons that keep trying to rip my spirituality out of my reality. Huh. And I, I want people to talk to me in a way that my expression of faith is not consumer oriented and not compartmentalized. And that to me is like wow. what we keep doing. Like we keep creating spaces for the compartmentalization of faith. And so mm. people don't live these integrated lives. And even as a therapist and counselor, like integration is the key. My whole job with anyone I'm sitting across is to help them see how their whole story can connect and is trying to give them meaning and ways that they can give it meaning that's better than maybe what they inherited. Yeah. And so integration is super important. And I just don't think a lot of churches are set up to actually create integrated people because what they do and how they offer it is still the same way McDonald's offers a Happy Meal. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> that's such a good analogy. <laughs> gosh. Yeah, that's, that is so thought-provoking, honestly. Um, wow. I, yeah. I, I guess to segue a little bit maybe from that, so coming mm -hmm. out of this and seeing sort of this bigger picture of how we are not integrated <laughs> fully yeah. into our lives yeah. and our spirituality, I'm very curious in, I guess, what has it looked like? Like what sort of um, spiritual concepts have you been grasping onto a new or finding a new kind of as yeah. as this transition has all been happening especially now that i know your podcast episodes kind of parallel some of your own journey because mm -hmm. there have been ones i've listened to the myth and container one was really beautiful to me um oh he's so great kent dobson's the, he's so cool <laughs> it was such a great episode anyways but i'm really curious yeah i know we could talk probably for hours on <laughs> your spiritual insights of late sure. but just if there were any in particular recently that you've been pressing into mm. that you've been able to explore outside of you know the spirituality that you yeah. started with yeah i have completely done away with the idea that god is a king who is expecting or demanding my worship and I think that is one of the most important things and most difficult things to detox because a lot of us in the Christian faith get presented with this idea that like, even in a healthy way, God is worthy of our worship mm. or you have these houses of worship where it's just like this expectation that God's presence would show up and I think it's beautiful. I have some friends who are doing things that I think are spiritually expressive and wonderful, but it's oriented around this idea of when can we see the end times? How can we get Jesus back? Hmm. Not um, how can I experience God playing Mario Kart with my four children? Yeah. Or how can I enjoy a cup of coffee or take a nap or smell a really great meal or enjoy the process of cooking. Like, so for me, I feel like um, there's this concept by John A.T. Robinson. He has this book called Honest to God. And he says, God is the ground of all being. Hmm. So it's a very, it's a very weird phrase, but just this idea that like, God is not this being separate from us. He is reality itself. So like ultimate reality, wow. which is a little woo woo. And like, again, you could unpack that for a while. Yeah. But when I recognize that God is present everywhere all the time, and some people might be like, you're a pantheist. No, I'm a panentheist. Mm. So it's not that God is the tree, but he's in the tree he's is what I say. Yeah. Um, and so it's just this idea that like, I think then for me, I combine that with like a process theology, open and relational theology view, mm. um, which if people want to know more about that, listen to my podcast this season, because I have a lot of guests who are in that stream of, of thinking and, and, and believing. 
but it doesn't involve a God who's demanding anything from me. And I think that for me has been the most freeing thing. And it has not um, made me think I can do more damaging things to myself. It actually has propelled me to take my role with the environment, my own body, my role as a husband and a father more seriously mm-hmm. and without the pressure. So I've actually grown more than ever before, wow. I think. Wow. That's really beautiful. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, that's really such a profound shift i this i i'm gonna be kind of vulnerable here i recently had a um i mean you bring it out of me and, and now i know you're actually a therapist i'm like this all makes sense now what in the world no wonder right. it all just comes pouring out of me but recently i did this like thought experiment because as we talked about when i was on your podcast um for me the draw yeah. really is between atheism and it has been Christianity. It's changing a little bit, you know. Um, but atheism mm. is something that I think is a, mm-hmm. a, a skepticism is a natural inclination of mine. And so recently I do these thought experiments. So like for a weekend, mm. I was an atheist. But this time it felt different. Like this time I actually, it's usually a head experiment. Mm. This time I was like, ooh, I feel what it would feel like. And I think I would get past this, but I was very sad for that weekend because I still, yeah. like when I was a child, went to nihilism and I'm like gosh after all this time after Mm. all this work I've done I still think without something higher Mm. you know it's I I was Mm. surprised by that um there was part of me that there's some work I've had to do um in my past there was some disordered eating and things that that like I have really I thought overcome and that weekend not even that I was real depressed Mm. but I was like well then why does it matter like why not do that if I feel like it or why not Mm. do you know, something, why not tell white lies or something? I don't know. It was just like this interesting thought experiment. And I was like, oh man, I am the person I criticize Mm. online sometimes where I say, if you're only doing it for Jesus, (laughs) you're not actually a good person. I was like, oh, what's happening here in my thought experiment. But I'm fascinated. This does, I swear this ties to what you said. I'm coming back around slowly. I'm fascinated that in your journey, you have found that it is actually inspiring new attention and new life and new uh, like pressing Mm. in to health and wholeness on Mm -hmm. these other levels that sometimes I think we miss in evangelicalism, especially thinking about the details because so often we're focused on, well, getting to like what, well, heaven's what matters. This is kind of the in-between or Jesus coming back is what matters. So these details, I mean, meh, you know, so I'm just commenting, I guess, on that yeah. fascination. And maybe if you could actually expound a little bit more on yeah. what has it been like looking at the details of life now? I, I don't know. Just tell sure. us a little bit more about that. I'm really interested in that. So for me, I don't feel the pressure to have the right answer. Mm. And so to some degree, whether or not hell is real, actually, to me, I've discovered a God who is so much more full of love that the fear of hell shouldn't be a part of the equation Mm. and isn't part of the equation. Now, will I have a low moment or an existential day and and go back there? Totally. I, I totally will have those moments. They're not over, but I guess like I am more interested in like actually living right now than talking about these ideas of what God might be like. And the ideas around open and relational and process theology have just really helped me because they just promote a God who isn't in total control. Like I don't believe in an omnipotent God Mm -hmm. and that wigs people out, but it actually allows me to sit with some people that I do across from them, hear these horrible stories and not go, God, you're really fucked up. I can't believe you're allowing this. Like what kind of a, dad would allow this like we would call dhs and put them in jail but because it's god we go oh it's just a mystery like i'm just not content with that anymore um and found a framework that allows me to not worry about it but also it's this is might make me sound like weird but i also have come to realize that this is a richard Rohr thing the two pathways to transformation is great love and great suffering Mm. and so that comes though from a place of privilege because without downplaying what I have been through, it doesn't compare to some of the things yeah. other people have experienced. To, to, so to some extent, it's easier for me to be like, 
I can see meaning in my suffering, but I interact almost daily with people who I see no meaning in it. And in no way would I feel okay associating it with a God who could have intervened, intervened, Mm. but chose not to. Um, So like those things I have answers for. I think that's a long winded way for me to say that, which then allows me to really rest. And like, I was panicking, what am I going to teach my four kids? how, Mm. How can I introduce a spirituality to them? And I'm like, you know what? When my daughter turns 11 here in three years, then we're going to start talking to her more about it. Right now she knows that God exists and that God loves her. And that's all she needs to know. She's not memorizing Bible verses. I'm not telling her Bible stories. Um, My six-year-old does tell her little brothers that there's no such thing as the devil, which is really funny. So we have told them that. (laughs) We've told them that the ego exists. (laughs) Um, Like, so there's little things like that we've done. But like, I don't feel that pressure anymore because what I think is going to help them more is my being present to them as much as I possibly can be. Like, if anything, if I was sitting there stuffing them full of Bible verses and stories and carting them to church, but I was an asshole, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter that I took them there. But if I can be a really present parent, a really apologetic parent and, and be present to them and to the world around me, I think, I I hope I'm not rambling, but I think I would simplify it. I think I would simplify it by saying, I finally feel present to my life moment by moment more than I ever did before when I was in those old theological systems. Because in the reform theology and even that environment, it was all about getting more college students and, you know, preaching the gospel and this pressure to evangelize. And then in the charismatic environment, for me, it was you need to keep prophesying and you're waiting on God to fulfill this and to do that. And someone spoke that over you and mm-hmm. you're significant if you're experiencing the spirit. And now I finally am like, I actually pay attention to the minute, the moment, the second that I'm in and not a million other things that don't need to be clouding my mind. And I think that's where the freedom has come from. Wow. That's very beautiful. That's very beautiful and very well put. I am seeking to do some of that myself, but of course, <laughs> deconstruction, I don't know. There's, it can be a whirlwind. So I, I love hearing totally. that it's, that it's a uh, possibility <laughs> that it happens. <laughs> so that's super encouraging. I'm also really oh, yeah. curious. You had said something about not having to have an omnipotent God anymore. And so I have, yeah. um, of course, for, for my flair, I like to, uh, I have some of these scholarly <laughs> sort of, debates in my not really debates but discussions in my dms and someone you know was like well i'd need to see evidence for god if i was going to believe and then of course they're Mm. like well we'd have to see about these attributes of god and so anyway we're going over the omnis Mm. you know um, omnipotent omnibenevolent all that but i'm really curious if you feel comfortable sharing because i actually don't know if it's helpful to define Uh these things in your case you'll have to tell me but if you if you feel Uh comfortable doing it what do you think are the characteristics of God now the defining characteristics or do you not know and not mind not knowing? I don't know. There's many ways you can answer this. So (laughs) I would say that, um, I think that there's a universal Christ. So if, if I could, hit a button and have everyone I talk to suddenly have read that book, that's like a great starting point for me. Um, just this idea that like, there by, you, it by Richard Rohr, right? The universal Christ. Yes. Yep. And so it's just this idea that like we live in a Christ soaked world. That's what Richard says. Mm-hmm. So like Christ is in all things as the Bible says yeah. for my very biblical friends. Um, and it's this idea that there is a woman right now in some remote jungle trying to help a village conquer a flu that it didn't have the supplies for. She has never opened a Bible. And she has never and will never worship Jesus, but she is living the Christ life. Mm. Like she is living the Christ way. I believe that. So that's um, something I think is essential is like, we call him Jesus and we make him exclusionary. I just don't think he's that exclusive. And I think a lot of people who are pretty sure they're getting into heaven are going to get there and be really pissed at who else was invited. Mm. Um, So that's one thing that I think. Um, 
I think that it's this idea of called essential kenosis. So like the essential attribute of God. I don't think it's power. I think it's love. Mm. And that I think is the big change for me is like, God is like water. And while we like to make lots of cracks in the pavement, he's always soaking into them to try to bring a little flower from that crack through the, those pieces of soil. So it's this idea that like, he's always moving in love towards flourishing, trying to bring about everyone and all things ultimate good. Um, but he can't just force it to happen. He needs human partners to participate with him. Hmm, that's so interesting. Or them, you could say that. And at the same time, to be honest, Liz, sometimes I go, I don't even think God's a Christian, and I think we all have it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I've just decided to go like, I want to be really open-handed with this. And things that I do find to be true are love and loving other people never feels bad. Mm -hmm. And being honest and kind and being present and aware being emotionally regulated, being a good listener. These are all things that I think Jesus demonstrated well, and you could argue are a part of the Christian faith and the Buddhist faith and the Muslim faith and the Hindu faith. Like there is this, what they call the, the, like the old tradition, or I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's this idea that there are certain tenets that you can find in every stream of religion that all actually meet in the same river. And I'm not saying it's like Jesus and Muhammad were the same guy, that kind of yeah. a thing. I don't even care about that debate. Yeah. What I'm saying is there are these threads that have been present in human history through myth, story, religion, that you can find in all of them. And I would say I look for those and I hold to those because I think those are like God showing up and trying to reveal itself to us hmm. in those different ways and places. Yeah, that's really beautiful. It's it's really interesting to hear you also talk about when you said, you know, I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a Christian. I also wouldn't say I'm not a Christian because <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like in a sense, my my experiences have been in this framework. You'll have to tell me if you're like this at all. So my experiences, most powerful, <sighs> truly, I would say most powerful life experiences have been in the Christian framework connected to the Christian idea of God. And yet I am aware mm -hmm. people are having these in other traditions outside of this understanding. And so it's yeah. this idea, it's almost like I can't not say that wasn't meaningful or, or, or real even at this point right. for me. And yet I have to, I guess it's the open-handed thing, like you said. Maybe this mm -hmm. is one window into, you know, looking into the house or something. I don't know. It's just, mm -hmm. it's so interesting. And so mm -hmm. I, I also I wanted to talk, I guess this just occurred to me, but kind of like, peace i want to talk about your peace of mind as we're finishing up here um and maybe yeah. <laughs> once again enneagram nerds i guess that's a nine thing right you're supposed to be all the peace the peaceful <laughs> one you got a little fire in totally. you but um <laughs> oh but, um, i'm a self-preserving nine all the way <laughs> a stranger my wife and i two years ago were at an all-inclusive resort hanging out in mexico living our best life and this lady was kind of watching us and then we sparked up a conversation with her in about five minutes and she goes i'm so sorry but I'm an Enneagram coach and I just have to look at you and say, I think you're a self-preserving Enneagram nine. Oh, wow. <laughs> looked at her like, how dare you? Oh, um, she pegged so, me. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, peace of mind all the way. So, I But it's really interesting to hear about how disrupted your peace was. Interesting is probably the wrong oh, word, yeah. but it is intriguing to me to hear, you know, it was so disrupted. And I just, mm -hmm. I want, peace is something I hear a lot of people in deconstruction mm. really they lose mm. it for a while and that is one of the hardest things mm -hmm. is to lose your peace because our peace has hinged so much on this relationship with christ that we thought we had which hinged on what we thought we knew about christ yeah. and so i just wondered mm -hmm. if you had any comments on how your i guess your relationship with peace has changed over over these last few years uh, just any yeah. comments on that about peace? Because I just feel like for my community, that's something yeah. people ache for and it can be hard to find. Yeah. I would say that I really just started to experience it over the last month and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. That for the last, I would say, year and a half to two years, 
I was daily not with peace. Hmm. I was having moments of frustration, confusion, fear about hell, fear if I had gotten all this wrong, fear, concern, worry, anxiety, questioning this, questioning that, desperately looking for an answer in scripture, needing to know how to even understand scripture. Like Hmm. then sitting across from people and hearing these intense stories of suffering, not really having a good answer, not seeing a way to help them find meaning at first and walking home like in tears, existential crisis and trying to figure it out, feeling depressed. And so I think what I would say, I use a lot of metaphors is um, we have this tendency to um, want answers and certainty. And I found that when I stopped needing certainty, I finally found peace. Mm. And the metaphor that I would use is like when you're at an ocean and the wave is coming towards you, there's those little sandpipers who they always run away from it mm-hmm. so they don't get hit by it. But actually what you need to do is you need to stay and let the wave hit because eventually it will recede. Mm. And what you learn to do is stand still and realize there's always going to be um, a wave. And my therapist, she really helped me with this because I, I was in therapy for a year and a half, um, going through a lot of this stuff over the last two years, I was in therapy for a year and a half and now have a spiritual director. So like in that, this is what I've learned is especially as Enneagram nine, I cannot wait for peace to happen, but my peace comes when I just accept that tension is a normal part of daily reality. Hmm. Wow, that's so. so <laughs> when I just accept the fact that it's not about okay, now I finally feel settled about this answer. Okay, now this is finally over. It's it's like no, the the peace comes when you just accept that we live in liminal space. We live in transition. That there's mm-hmm. always change, and that is where like when I shifted that, and when I do that well. I feel the most at peace. And so when I realized, you know what? There's n- I'm never going to have the answer for what happens when we die because I've never died. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people who think they have the answer. But the truth is all of us are living on a prayer when it comes to that because yeah. we don't know. And when I just accept that, that's okay. Or when I just realize that I can't just live this insulated life free of disaster or bad things happening, or inconvenience of the smallest kind, when I surrender to that, I have peace. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, though, I did tons and tons and tons. Like, I literally have a podcast almost to just personally deconstruct in public. So (laughs) it's not that I wasn't without, like, research and looking for frameworks and finding spacious places for my brain to live that allow me to feel settled in ideas was a part of this, but then also an internal just realization that, when I just accept that life isn't about having this like, okay, nothing bad is happening. That's actually when I found peace, which is really contradictory. Yeah. Wow. That's really, that's really insightful, <laughs> man. Yeah. Well, P- <laughs> I think so. It's insightful for me. So I'm sure others will find it that way. That's too. what matters. That's right. Yeah. This, you're the homie. <laughs> I'm telling you, I do this too. I do it for me. Sometimes I'm like, I mean, it's great when people listen, but you know, it's like, <laughs> that's a bonus. Like, <laughs> I got to talk to these people yes. and like, oh, this. So, so real. It's so true. So, okay. As we finish up, I think you'll probably have, we'll probably uh-huh. have listeners who are like, okay, I need to hook up with this guy. Like I need to get this guy as my therapist. I need my spiritual director to be Michael. Can you tell <laughs> us, tell our listeners where they can find you? So if people want to find me, they can go to the thresholds.com. Okay. So that's like kind of my, my thing is I want to help people walk through the thresholds of their life. And so it's thethresholds.com, or you can find me on Instagram at my name, Michael Lisi. That's just one L. People always wonder where I am because they do two L's. Um, And then my podcast is A Certain Wandering. They can go and listen there. But those are kind of the easiest ways to connect with me. And if you go to the website, you can shoot me an email. And then same on Instagram, you can find, you can send me a DM. I answer those. You can send me an email, message, whatever. Awesome. So that would be the easiest way. Yeah. Nice. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your insights with yeah. us. It's a lot yeah. Of Liz, like, I just feel like we're friends. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Especially after our last conversation. I literally quote you all the time. 
What? Like I, I had a session with someone who's in the midst of deconstruction. That quote where you said, this is the most honest mistake of my life if I'm doing yeah. this, that gives me so much comfort. And I say it to people all the time. Like you are just earnestly trying to figure this out. What kind of a God wouldn't say, hey, you missed it a little bit. So just come home. If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.